Welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast. This is pilot Jim G, bringing you episode 384, Foxtrot. Foxtrot, Foxtrot, Foxtrot. But I can't dance. With my two good friends, Jeb. Yay! And Dave. Here again, and here again beside myself. You are too perky in the morning, Dave. Oh, yeah. I'm just bouncing all over the place today. <laughs> it's, the, it's, the, it's the morning after the night before in the tie-down party. And uh, no ill effects from consumption, uh, but uh, starting to feel the effects of uh, lack of sleep. And that, that's, that's real prominent in my life. I, th- I think there's a campground full of people who share that particular affliction. I think, and for our listeners uh, who had to miss our tie-down appreciation party, which is a, a fan appreciation party, really, we had close to 80 people there. So we encourage you all to come again if you can. We had 80 people, um, some regulars at the party, some regulars at Oshkosh. Some new people that um, first-timers for the tie-down party. Some people who were first-timers for Oshkosh. So uh, it was a good time. Uh, we had live music. We had uh, uh, all kinds of interesting... Santa Claus was there. Uh, people from all over the world, literally. And uh, it's, it's always very humbling for me, I'm sure for Dave and Jack, uh, how people turn out for this and, and how people uh, uh, keep in touch with us. And it's, it's um, very humbling, very appreciated. Unfortunately, we didn't get any shots of uh, Santa on the ripping arrival, but boy, I've got fantasies of that. You got you to gotta wait for December for that. <laughs> In terms of people coming, Santa and others, we were talking earlier about uh, noticing there's a little, looks like a bump in attendance. Camp Scholler, I noticed, is full all the way out to the highway, uh, which usually there's always a big empty field way out there, but as far as you could see this year, you've got campers. And Dave, you were down at Ultralights, and you've said... Well, and I flew out of Ultralight Sunday night in the uh, uh, Super Stole XL. And uh, one of the things I was able to notice from the air was that they'd opened up new areas and extended Schaller's uh, uh, parking space for RVs and motorhomes farther south into acreage they'd never opened up before. Uh, so, uh, sorry if I'm repeating something I said in a prior daily, but I'm still stunned by it. Jeb, you, uh, your airplane is not quite in Fond du Lac, but close there, too. Uh, I think if I called a cab from my airplane to get to Fond du Lac, I could do that without any extra surcharges. <laughs> and it would probably only be a $5 fare. <clears throat> yeah. um, I'll find out exactly where it is in a little bit. For our listeners who haven't been here to Oshkosh Air, uh, Whitman Regional Airport, from the north end to the south end is about two miles, having walked it myself a few times. It's a big airport. Well, runway 3618 is 9,000 feet, and there's a lot of airport north of the runway. There's a lot of parking south of the runway. So do the math. Yep. And it's about a mile and a half east to west along the North 40 side, and both sides of the uh, runway are filled with aircraft campers. So uh, it filled up more and faster this year than I've seen it in probably a decade. Yeah, I, I can confirm that. Obviously, I had uh, uh, not so much trouble getting in, but trouble figuring out where I wanted to park and camp. Um, there are some holes I noticed yesterday in, in the North 40, and there are probably more holes today 
But today being Friday and, and the weekend coming up, there's going to be another influx. Um, there will be space uh, if you're listening to my voice and you're planning on trying to sneak in for the weekend. Come on down. Uh, there'll be plenty of things to do. There's plenty of pl places to park and camp and whatnot. But it is crowded, and uh, you just be prepared. And if, you, and if you come today or early tomorrow, you'll be here in time for uh, the second night air show on Saturday night. And that's usually a bigger deal than the one on Wednesday. So, uh, and it, it, it's lots of vendors with lots of new stuff and uh, lots of the old stuff. And if you can't find what you want here, they don't make it yet. Yeah, I, I managed to damage my wallet a bit in one of the uh, vendor exhibits the, uh, <laughs> the other day. So I'm familiar with the concept, but I guess I'm keeping AirVenture in business by uh, buying stuff. Actually, it worked out well for me. My uh, A&P mechanic who maintains my plane is here on the field. And we were talking about a, an ignition module upgrade for my airplane. It turns out the vendor who supplies it is here, had it in stock, walked in, bought it, went back to my mechanic, and I said, I've got it. It's in my car. We'll, we'll get to it the next time I'm in the shop with you. So that's what the convenience of a show like this is. Smart, smart thinking. Smart thinking. And... Jeb, as you mentioned, today's Friday, and you're thinking about uh, perhaps possibly having to leave this uh, wonderful experience. I, I am. I, uh, I do have to get back to Florida and, and get start getting some work done for next week. Uh, plan A is to try to bug out here around noon, uh, as is my want. Um, stop in Indiana for some cheap gas and uh, motor on down to Athens, Georgia. Uh, I've, I've made a tactical decision uh, uh, in my flying as of uh, last Tuesday when I arrived Oshkosh, I ain't doing Oshkosh to Sarasota in the same day anymore. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to overnight in Athens, um, which is uh, my old alma mater, and uh, try to hook up with some old friends of mine, college roommate, high school buddy, uh, and uh, just kind of say hello to them and listen to some good tunes downtown Athens and uh, maybe have a, uh, an alcoholic beverage or two and kind of take it easy and get a real shower in a real bed and uh, uh, motor on home to Sarasota tomorrow. This, this is a, a good point in general. Uh, you know, when we were younger, we did all-night car rides. When we were young pilots, we did long rides on, in the plane. When we're young motorcyclists, we do long motorcycle rides. As we age, and many of our friends in the pilot community are doing exactly that, uh, beats the alternative, as they say. Uh, we start thinking about taking more breaks. I spent eight hours in the airplane on uh, Tuesday, and uh, thanks to you know 20 knots on the nose all the way and, and a lot of weather, it was a long day. Um, I wasn't unsafe, I wasn't dangerous, but I was tired at the end of it. And uh, I'm just getting a little bit too old for that. I used to do, you know, uh, I've done, as Dave well knows, I've done Oshkosh to Wichita to Manassas in the same day after the show. I've done Scottsdale, Arizona to Manassas, Virginia in one day. Um, not associated with Oshkosh, of course. Um, I've, I've made my bones in long distance flying. Uh, I don't need to prove anything. The only thing I really need to do is, is make sure I'm uh, in good shape at the end of the day. And uh, we, we want you back home safe. There's, there's never been a danger of, of, 
of um, any any safety issues or anything like that. Fatigue is fatigue, and as long as you recognize it, and you know, I'm not going to be shooting an approach to 200 and a half mile um, at the end of one of those days. If the weather's scuzzy, I'm not going to go in the first place, and I'm certainly not going to push it when I'm fatigued. But uh, I don't want to be fatigued in the first place. Uh, I don't want to have the challenge of, of having to make the decision of whether to push things. So I'm going to start breaking up these trips, and today's the first time. One of our other listeners is a long-distance traveler, well-known to some of you who are in our forums, Champ Guy. And Champ Guy uh, was here t- this, is here this year, as he has been for the last several. He flies a 90-horsepower uh, uh, Champ across the Rockies from the West Coast into Oshkosh and back. Uh, and we had a chance to talk with him last night after the tie-down party about that experience. And here's what he had to say. This is pilot Jim G, and I have the pleasure this evening of speaking with a longtime friend of the podcast, Champ Guy. Good evening. Good evening to everybody. You've been active in our uh, in the UCAP forums, meeting a lot of people. And how long have you been doing hanging out there? Uh, I'm not even sure now. It's been a long time, six, eight years. And you have you met many of the people from the forums live and in person? I meet them at Oshkosh, and it's a wonderful place. So we want to get people active in the UCAP forums if you're a listener, right? I think it would be a lot of fun if more people would get involved, tell about what they're doing. We have such an opportunity to, with our flying, to do stuff and go places. And people, if we shared what we're doing more, then more people would probably feel comfortable doing more themselves. In terms of, use of as you say, going places, one of the places you go, because here we are at Oshkosh, is Oshkosh. And Rit uh, and Champ Guy, how do you get here? It's, it's I am fortunate being able to take a two-week vacation, and it works out very, very well for me. I get two weeks out of town and travel cross country. Um, people don't understand. I think a lot of people don't understand that you can take a small plane and not an inexpensive, relatively inexpensive plane, and you really can just. Go, just go for it and travel. You have to be careful with the weather, of course, and sometimes you don't fly. Uh, but then you do something else for the day, and the next day the weather's probably better. So it's, it's very, very doable without getting ridiculously expensive or high-tech or fast. Uh, planes can be very, very affordable and, and, and um, good for you. For our listeners who may not be experts on the Aronka Champ, just uh, give us a brief description of what your airplane looks like, feels like, and flies like. Well, the Champ is a very, very forgiving plane. Um, the the uh, airfoil is not designed to fly fast. It's designed to be forgiving, so it's got a very gentle stall at a, a speed way below anything we ever fly it at. If you um, are on short final and you want to maneuver over to a parallel runway or something, uh, it does it very nicely. Um, It's a fun, easy, simple plane to fly, forgiving, and as airplanes go, a very, very safe airplane. Now, that's a a two-seat airplane, high wing, uh, light. Some might say a little on the small side, but you come from... Oregon, is that correct? That's, yes, Oregon, it's, 
that's part of why I have the plane and keep it is to be able to to fly it here. Um, with my my champ has 90 horsepower. The a lot of them are only 65. The 85 or the 90 will get you over the mountains at 10,000 feet when that's appropriate. Um, but most of the way from Cutbank, Montana, all the way across the mid the plains and the badlands, and then all the farmland of the Midwest, I'm at a thousand to fifteen hundred feet, and I get to look into people's backyards and see beautiful, clean, well tended. It amazes me how beautiful this country is when you look down on it like this. And there are small airports with card lock gas at reasonable intervals. I seldom fly over two hours at a single hop. And you load your camping gear in the in the champ, and you get here uh, with your tent, and you set the tent up next to the airplane. You've done this for a few years. Um, what's that like? What, why is that? Why is that worth taking a vacation to fly all the way out here to Wisconsin to just set up a tent and camp next to the airplane? <laughs> it's uh, some would think I'm crazy, but this is an unusual crowd. The aviation crowd is a crowd that has learned to fly, to take responsibility. You have to be responsible for yourself if you're gonna fly a plane. When you get here, you're amongst a group of people that's six, 800,000 people show up here and you look around and there's no trash on the ground. That tells you something about who's here and it tells you about the quality of the people that are here and I enjoy camping amongst a crowd of this quality and people you meet people, you can talk. Um, it's a wonderful experience for a pilot to be amongst a bunch of other pilots. Um, I don't know how to explain it. You really have to do it, you know, to experience it. And it's doable, and it makes a, a valuable contribution to your life to, to, to learn and to be responsible for what you do every day. As pilots, we do see that people screw up from time to time, and each time you see that happen, it reminds you, I'm not going to do that to my family. I am going to be responsible in how I fly. And that's part of the experience. I'm not sure anybody could have said it better. Champ Guy, thanks so much for talking with the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast. We're delighted to have you as a longtime listener and active member of the forum. Thank you very much. Well, thanks, Champ Guy, for that excellent report. We, we, it was great to catch up with you, and we'll talk in the forums as we're not together in person. It's always a pleasure to see Champ Guy at the tie-down parties and, and see him around the, the site and uh, uh, talk about airplanes and talk about flying champs and, and that kind of thing. So uh, tailwinds, my friend, and until next year. I want one of those good coffee mugs that he made out of his old spar. I had an, uh, an experience here that I wanted to tell you guys about uh, day before yesterday. EAA has set up a pilot proficiency center with some support from Redbird, the makers of a uh, very, uh, very fancy little simulator device that they sell to flight schools. And I was able to get in there uh, for a VFR session. They offered VFR and IFR sessions. And I was able to get in there for a half hour, 45 minute, uh, VFR session with uh, Rob Mark, Robert Mark from the Jetwine blog, who many of you know, who also appears on the uh, Airplane Geeks podcast. 
And what they've done this year, and this is free, and we're hoping it'll do it next year for those who are listening after the show. It's free. Just walk in, sign up. You'll be signed an instructor. And they have seven different scenarios. Short field, back country, crosswinds, uh, and even an aircraft carrier landing for those who haven't tried it yet. Nothing I've, nothing I've ever owned it had a tail hook on it, but it'd still be fun to try. I think in the sim they put the tail hook on the 172. <laughs> so I, I got in there and did uh, one, um, one backcountry landing where you can't see the runway until, you're on, until you come around a bend and you're on short final. Very interesting. And the, uh, that, that's a lot like the runway down, on the, it, down at the fun flying zone. When, when you uh, got to land to the west on that, you... Uh, you might see the runway from a mile out, but then when you get down to approach altitude to fit in with the arrivals to uh, three six and avoid their their approach, uh, you can't see any of that runway until you start to make that last 90 degrees to line up with it, and then boom, there it is. That's because of the tree line. It's uh, it keeps you on your toes. Oh yeah. And then they also the other scenario I did in the sim with Rob was a uh, a narrow runway, narrow and long, 30 feet wide. 4,000 feet long with water at the threshold, or that is, you know, on the other side of a river. Brown so, County Airport in Kansas, 2,500 feet by 30. And so there's that illusion uh, that you get from a long, narrow runway of it being bigger than it actually is and, and you being higher than you ought to be. And with the water right there, it's very hard to judge. The water at either end of the runway can always kind of make the... Uh, make the uh, perception different and you throw night into that and the water is a big black hole you know there's no lights out there and uh, suddenly it's a whole different ball game you also might find a little sinkhole sometimes when you're approaching a runway over water um, or my understanding or my recollection I should say is uh, the water will absorb heat during the day creating a, a sink and generate heat in the evenings, generating lift. Uh, so you have to be cognizant of, of the, the way the terrain will interact with your airplane. And of course, in the, uh, in the pilot proficiency center, Redbird Sims, the instructor can mess with the crosswind, the, the uh, weather conditions, uh, whatever. And so you never, it's, you never know quite what you're going to get. Instructors are like that, aren't they? <laughs> Points out, points out the value at, uh, of, of practice and the uh, best way to become and stay a proficient pilot is to fly. Uh, if you can't get it in for real, uh, some sim time like that can help knock the rust off the edges. But there's no substitute for the real deal. Absolutely. I had a chance to catch up with Rob Mark of the Jetwine blog who's been helping out in the Pilot Proficiency Center here at Oshkosh. So, Rob, you've been volunteering in the Pilot Proficiency Center this week, where EAA has enabled pilots to try some simulations on the Redbird simulator device in both VFR and IFR scenarios. And I think you were working VFR, is that right? Yeah, I started out in VFR because I, I hadn't worked with the Redbirds before. I'd never actually worked up here at the Proficiency Center, and I didn't want to look like a complete idiot not knowing what I was doing, so I thought, how hard could VFR be? But 
the scenarios were very challenging on the VFR side. And I think that was actually what they were designed for because we weren't trying to overwhelm people. The goal was to try to get people to think about what they should be thinking about when they're flying. And the nice thing is that if it doesn't work out the way we wanted it to, you can hit pause and say, hey, Jim, let's do that over again. And maybe what would you have done different the second time? And that's actually been the benefit. Now, we, we know that there are uh, we 12 simulator stations set up. You can't set up 100, but you've got many, many pilots here. And uh, did you find it to be a little bit busy this week? I couldn't believe how busy I was. I mean, I had to raise my hand to go to the bathroom. And, you know, seriously, but... And we had people of all, all categories. I had one, uh, one fellow, I think, that was probably a, an 800-hour uh, commercial pilot... Uh, working on his uh, CFI, and uh, he was kind of surprised at the fact that it didn't all work out exactly the way he thought it would the first time. So he learned a few things. I had somebody yesterday, I had a young girl yesterday that was going to be a senior in high school that had never flown in her life. And we did the basic VFR Fisk arrival uh, into Oshkosh, and and by the time she was done in her hour, she was landing the airplane, and she just thought that was the coolest thing in the whole world. That's, that's such a great thing to get somebody introduced to it and to give them the confidence to know that they could go out there and do this because people think pilots are amazing, and we are. But it's nice to reassure the other folks that they could do it too. Uh, there were several scenarios, both in the IFR and the VFR side, and I think in VFR there were six different scenarios about that. And each one presented a different challenge. One was a, a, a short runway, one was a narrow runway, one was a aircraft carrier. <laughs> uh, was any one of them a particular favorite? Actually, I would have to tell you that I think the mountain uh, approach was my favorite. And only because it, it started to teach people things that they would just never have thought about if they were flatlanders like me. The airport that we were landing at was at 5,000 feet uh, MSL. And when we turned the simulator over to you, I think you and I did that one, Jim. Right. right. We, did, that was, we did that one twice, in fact, because it, it takes two times to get the feel for it. That's right. And what we learned is that if you waited, because uh, you couldn't see the airport when the scenario began, you had to kind of weave your way around some pretty high hills. And uh, if you waited until you saw the grass runway to start getting configured, even the 172, about the only way to get down would be a sort of a dive bomber approach and uh, 2,500-foot rate uh, coming down uh, a mile from the airport was not such a good idea. And for those folks who are out there saying, well, why didn't you just uh, do a pretty steep slip as soon as you saw the runway, or the rest of you saying, why didn't you just go around once around the pattern? Well, in terms of the steep slip, as you say, you're going to pick up a little speed. It's going to be hard to judge those trees at the threshold. And you, if you're a good backcountry pilot, you might be able to do it. But we talked about going around. And there's no traffic pattern at this airport because it's in a narrow canyon. So as I recall, as I recall, if you go around, you're going to go fly down the valley, out into the country, do another cross-country to come back around and try it again. Well, it's funny because the, uh, the young lady that was learning to fly, that it was her first... Uh, session yesterday we actually did that we took off from that strip and and I just had her fly out through the canyon and we were flying for a long time before we ever climbed high enough to go over the top of the uh, 
uh, the, the hill, uh, well, they were mountains. I mean, I think we were up to 10,000 feet by the time. So how you would have gotten back in there if you did go around, I have no idea. On my first attempt, I was actually a little too low. I had, you had warned me that the airport comes up on you quickly. So I overcompensated, chopped the power, and ended up dragging it in, um, narrowly missing a tree on final. <laughs> Well, the graphics on these simulators are really, really good. And trust me, when you see the trees and the hills, you think they're really trees and hills. And we're not looking at one screen. We have six screens. So we have wraparound vision. You can see essentially from behind the left str wing strut on the 172 all the way around to the uh, behind the uh, right. No, I can't say it. Behind the right wing strut. So more than 180 degrees of, of visibility. It's really good. I like that on the narrow runway scenario because the, the, the simulator scenario starts you off on base with a runway on your left side. And if you're flying Microsoft Flight Sim or uh, X-Plane at home and you only have your one computer monitor, you can't, you'd have no idea where the runway is. But with the wraparound vision that the Redbird puts in there, of course, you say, oh, yeah, there it is off on the left. Yeah. Still deceiving. Well, you know, Jim, I'm just actually so glad that you came in. And, I mean, I was sitting there in the sim waiting for the next student, and they said, Rob, there's someone that wants to fly specifically with you. And I thought, who in their right mind would do that? And then there you were, Jim. You know, <laughs> if it weren't for doing this podcast and a good reason for doing it, nobody would want to fly with you, Rob. <laughs> I know, I know. But listen, it's been it's been a great week here at, uh, at AirVenture. In fact, I get to go home this afternoon, finally, after about six days. So uh, I'm really glad you uh, took the time to come out and talk about this a little bit, Jim. I'm really glad that I had the opportunity to catch up with you and that you're willing to, even though you do work for the other that other podcast, Airplane Geeks, which we love, we're so glad to have you as a guest on Uncontrolled Airspace, Rob. And it's always good to see you. We see you here at Oshkosh every year. And uh it's just a terrific opportunity to catch up. And that's because I'm basically uncontrolled at heart. And with that, we'll say thanks, Rob, and we'll see you next time. Some of the other things we've seen this, anything else we've seen today, yesterday, that come to mind, the, the Wright Flyer, the B-50, anything stuck, stuck out that you guys didn't cover in some of the other dailies? I think we talked about the Harriers yesterday, and the, the last yesterday's daily. Um, but uh, anything specific? No, it's it's just another wonderful year at at AirVenture. The weather's cooperated. The crowds are big. The the, the vendors are happy. Um, another great show. Another set of congratulations to EAA. It's uh, going to be another good afternoon air show. Uh, I can't quote you what's on the list, uh, but we got Patty Wagstaff back this year and a. a, a completely different extra, a 330XL, I believe it is. It's a two-seater with the same capabilities and the same performance as the extra 300 single-seater. And uh, since she's got a new line of work where she's teaching upset recovery and aerobatics, a two-seater comes in in handy. But the fact that it's also capable of letting her replicate some of the unique maneuvers that she did in the single-seater is what really turned the corner for her. So, uh, her her show her Step out and see that one. Her show is very distinctive. When you're in the campground and you're watching the air show at a distance and you don't you don't hear the announcer necessarily, you can tell when Patty's flying. It's she's got a distinctive uh, act. And she's cut her hair a little shorter, so uh, the the new video won't show that 
those uh, curly locks she used to have flying up and down and sideways as she did it. That really always drove home what was what what the in in the cockpit camera was, what was going on with the in in cockpit camera. Caught it. Easy for me to say. You, folks, you don't get reporting like that on other news media. That's right. <laughs> All right, I think we can we can tie a ribbon around this one. This has been Uncontrolled Airspace, episode 384, Foxtrot. We'll see y'all around the grounds. Fly safe. Bye now. Bye.